Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being with us. Whether you are gathered in the sanctuary, in the gym, or on your couch, I, I, I've learned that we've even got some folks who have been coming even when we're indoors and just sitting in our parking lot so that they can gather with our church family and you're watching it out there on your phone. However it is that you've gathered with us, I am so thankful and happy that you have joined with us here at Malvern Hill this morning. A couple of announcements before we get started. Uh, COVID has, has frustrated us in, in, I think, just about every conceivable way. Uh, we, are, we are all so tired of it. I was reminded it's, it's, it hasn't gone away just yet. We even have a few of our own folks who are continuing to battle with it. However, we are seeing numbers decline in ways that bring us great hope. Um, and as a result of that, beginning next Sunday, we're, we're, we're hoping to return to life groups. And so, um, uh, barring some, uh, some unexpected explosion that none of us anticipates, but then again, I, ju- I just like to always say, hopefully, because everything has been weird for the last year, but uh, our full anticipation is return to life groups next Sunday. Kevin will send out something this week, life group leaders, so that you can communicate. You should plan to meet in those what we deemed temporary spaces when we met last time, when we were meeting prior. But the numbers are, are retreating in, in ways that give us great confidence. And again, for those of you who weren't aware, we just aren't able to create social distancing within our life group spaces. And that's the reason that we felt it important um, as the numbers peaked or spiked or whatever word they're using for us to walk away from that for a period of time. But here's the, here's the other part of that. Life groups are the lifeblood of our church. And uh, um, if, if you're, if you're are new to our church. That's, that's what's incredible. There's some of you who are here today or joining with us online who have actually come, come into our church in the last 10 or 12 months. And as a result, your only privilege has been to experience, privilege, curse, to experience my preaching on a regular basis. You've not even yet experienced what is really the heartbeat and the lifeblood of Malvern Hill Baptist Church. And that is our small group ministry and our life groups, uh, intentional discipleship, and all the things that come along with that. So I just want to remind you that will uh, that will let's just say that will start next Sunday morning, uh, barring some unexpected event, and so we we really look forward to that. I want to go ahead and start laying the groundwork for one other thing before we jump into the Bible this morning in the sermon. Easter is around the corner. I'm living for nothing but Easter right now. Y'all, y'all got to understand. I've been living for Easter since December the 26th. Okay, I am I am so anxious about. Easter. We still don't know exactly what the world is going to look like, but what we are committed to as your church is to make sure that there is room for everybody at Easter. So on Resurrection Sunday, that very first Sunday in April, we are, we are renting a tent to go out front so that we can make 100% sure that when you invite your neighbor or your mom or your family member or whoever it is, that when you invite them, you can say there is room for you at Malvern Hill on, on Resurrection Day. You can let them know that even if they are uncomfortable being indoors, if they want social distancing, we've got space for them. Why are we doing that? Because nothing matters more to us than the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is no more important day in the life of the church than the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Our world is separated and distanced, but it is time that we proclaim a gospel that brings people near to the cross and to the hope of Jesus Christ. We're going to spend the next month and a half Is that how long we have? We're going to spend the next month and a half doing this. 
We're scattered, okay? We, we, we just are. That's who we are. We've, we've spread like this. The next month and a half, we're gonna, we as Malvern here are going to be gathering. We're going to be regathering, going to be refocusing. And by the time we hit Easter Sunday, we are going to be running with one unified purpose, to love God, love others, and to change the world from right here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. I am eager and anxious about what 2021 has for our church and for the church of Jesus Christ in the United States and across the globe. But I want you to know, and this morning you're going to dig into this in the sermon, that unless we will recommit ourselves to the fulfillment of the Great Commission, then all of these hopes really are lost. I shouldn't say that. That's a lie. Because the promise that we're going to be reminded of from God's word is that the church is God's church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We may fail and the church may wander in the wilderness for 40 years, but make no mistake about it. The church of Jesus Christ will be victorious because he is king of kings and lord of lords. If you have your Bible, we're in the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. We're going, to have, we're going to read a, a, a lot of scripture this morning to begin the message. And we're going to wrestle with some important questions about what it looks like to make decisions. In a sermon I've titled this morning, Now or Never. If you would stand with me in honor of God's word. And I forgot to write down the scripture I told them to put up on the screen. So I think I remember, but if you see them putting something up different than what I'm reading, it is not their fault, it is my fault. And I just want to be clear about that, okay? Beginning in chapter or 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, from which I am giving, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Let's jump on over to verse 17. Um, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Skip on down to verse 25. At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And it's making reference to a large cluster of grapes they brought back. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw there the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height, 
And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us hearts to perceive your word. Lord God, minds to understand it. But Father, even more today, I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the courage to decide whether or not we will trust your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. There's a famous business school called Carter Racing. Carter Racing is um, a, a model that uh, basically presents a, a scenario, and, and the, 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 the groups of students are divided up into teams, and the teams must make a decision as to whether or not a car will race and there, there's a huge upside. If the car races, then the car is certainly going to win a lot of sponsorships that they need to strengthen the race team and to continue moving forward and to make money. However, there's a, a, a monkey wrench that's thrown into there. They've, they've had a number of engine failures, two or three engine failures over the course of the last 16 or 18 races, something like that. Uh, they can't pinpoint exactly what's going on. And so um, they've, they've got information available. And, and one of the pieces of information comes from the mechanic. And the mechanic says, I can't swear to it, but I've got a pretty good feeling that the reason that these engines are failing is because of the temperature, the ambient temperature outside. He says, you know, it seems like if we're above 40 or 45, everything goes okay. But, but then if it drops down too low, something goes wrong. He said, but I, I can't actually give you quantifiable data. It's just a gut feeling that there's something going on. Well, historically, as this, this case study has been being given to business students since the late 80s, I think it's something like 93% of students decide that they will go racing. Because the upside is millions of dollars. And the downside is just a minor setback in the funding for their race team. Now what's interesting is that everything changes when the people are informed that this is actually a real life scenario that worked itself out in the late 1980s. It turns out that Carter Racing is not based off of a race team. Carter Racing is a is a, 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 a business school study that's actually based off of the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. And what happened with Challenger, as all of you know, and for those of us who are still incredibly young and remember it from elementary school, and then there's the rest of you old people. That's right. 40 didn't hurt me. I'm still younger than the rest of y'all. But if you're older than me, then you actually remember that there were congressional investigations as to what in the world went wrong. And as they studied, those of you that are old enough to remember, remember that the Space Shuttle Challenger was doomed because of a failed what? Anybody remember? O-ring. O-ring. A rubber O-ring. The story was that below 40 degrees... The O-ring would potentially fail at such a rate that would cause fuel to blow by, and that blow by, if there's enough of it, could actually ignite. The bigger story is that there was no quantifiable evidence to suggest that that was the case. There was a late night phone call the night before the shuttle took off, 
And there on that phone call were NASA representatives, engineers that were in charge of the space shuttle from the outside company that was a part of that. And there were a few people on the, on the call who said, I can't prove it, but I've got a really bad feeling and I, I believe that it is the no-ring problem. Well, what do you have to prove that with? Well, I've got nothing except some pictures. And the pictures don't prove a whole lot, and they tell us nothing about temperature. Well, at the end of the day, a decision had to be made. They would fly or they wouldn't. Well, at that point in time, space shuttle missions had become so ubiquitous, and this one was so important because the very first teacher in space was on board. Every school-age student across America was going to watch this flight. To cancel the flight would be a decision of epic failing proportions. The decision had to be made, and the decision was finally made without sufficient evidence that the flight would commence. Of course, we know that that flight turned out to be an incredible disaster. I share that with you just as a reminder that life is filled with decisions. Most of our decisions are not of the caliber that they're life and death. Many of our decisions are much more mundane, right? What did you have for breakfast this morning? What will you have for lunch today? Will you drink your coffee black or black? See what I did there? But when it comes to the decisions of whether whether or not we will trust the promises of God, I want you to know that oftentimes it's a now or never kind of decision. See, we like to push everything off. The reason that the challenger decision had to be made right then was because the challenger, challenger was going to be boarded and prepared for liftoff just after daybreak on the following day. We like to think that we've got all the time in the world. But when it comes to the promises of God, it's very possible that you need to make a decision today or you may never have the opportunity to do it again. As we approach the scripture text that we're in this morning, we see that the children of Israel were faced with a decision, a conundrum. And ultimately, the decision for them was a decision about whether or not they would trust God's promises. You see, there are lots of other things that would go into this decision-making process. But when it's all said and done, there was one question. Will you trust the Lord? And folks, I want to suggest to you today... That as it relates to many things in our life, as it relates to how it is that we will engage the lost, as it relates to how it is that you will follow Christ and live your life, ultimately it comes down to this one question. Will you trust God's promises? The first thing we see this morning that the children of Israel had to do and that we need to do is to consider your position. We need to consider our position. For Israel, there were several positions to consider. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. They were positionally on the verge of accomplishing their goal. Emotionally, they must have been absolutely spent. Spiritually, they were dry and faithless. You will recall it had not been too long since they had had their experience at Mount Sinai. And there on Mount Sinai, rather than worshiping the Lord in all of His glory and splendor, what did the children of Israel do? They took their jewelry off. They threw their belt buckles in. They they threw their earrings in. and, And I love Aaron's statement, and out came this calf. It's like dealing with a six-year-old, isn't it? How did this happen? Daddy, would you believe that I walked up here and the room just looked like this? No, I don't believe that. 
And yet, that's pretty much what we find with the children of Israel in this place. They, they, they had seen God do incredible things. God had delivered them, protected them, fed them, and even appeared to them in cloud and thunder and fire and smoke on Mount Sinai. And yet, here they were brought to a point of decision. Would they go forward or go backward? You know, we all find ourselves having to make decisions regularly, but there's one decision that will matter for all of eternity as you approach God's word before you, you, you can really hear God's promise and you can listen to it or you, you can walk away. But before we can actually hear God's promise and contemplate a decision, I believe it's important that we must consider our own position. Where are you today? Where are you today? Not where do you want to be, not where do you wish you were, not where do, not where do other people think you are. Where are you today? It's important for all of us to remember the straightforward report of the spies was not sinful and was probably pretty accurate. You realize that? They said the land had abundant food and water. In other words, it flowed with milk and honey as had been promised. The people, they said, were large and the cities were fortified and the cities were large. No reason for us to doubt that to be true. As a matter of fact... Archaeological discoveries suggest that all those things were true. The task ahead was daunting, and it's important for us to remember who Israel was. They were considering themselves. Who were they? They were a recently liberated people. They had poor leadership and no standing army. In fact, they would have had very few people with any military abilities. They had no weapons, no reasonable hope to be able to occupy Canaan. Do you understand that? Like, do we really grasp that? When you read through this real quickly, you go, how dare they have no faith? Folks, how many of you would have looked around and went, look at this ragtag group of folks we got right here. We got a couple of shovels. We got a couple of rakes. Somebody over there, I heard a rumor, has a bow. He's got two arrows. Who knows what he can do with it? These guys over here supposedly have sling stones, but we've never actually seen them use them. We are nothing. Consider your position. Where are you today? Honestly, where are you? If you were to stand before the Lord, what would you say? What hope do you have of inheriting God's kingdom? Folks, it's important that we consider these things. All these things need to come into our decision-making process. Consider the position of others in our community. About this, demographic, de- demographic data tells us that 60% of the people in our community are unchurched. Within a five-mile radius of our church, almost 25% of those people who responded to a recent survey claim to have zero religious affiliation. Within a five-mile radius of Camden, South Carolina, that, or, or excuse me, of Malvern Hill Baptist Church, 3.23 billion people around the world have no access to the gospel. See, we feel pretty good about ourselves because we're a growing church with a healthy budget. We have tons of kids and teenagers. But we need to be honest about our position. Three in five churches in the U.S. and in our own community are plateaued or declining. See, the reality is we're not pushing back the darkness. We are not winning. In fact, the report is nearly as daunting as that given by the Israelite spies We feel good about what we've accomplished only when we don't carefully consider our position. But when we consider our position, the task is daunting. 
The task is daunting, and the task before Israel was terrifying. But the children of Israel needed to hear God's promise. 13.2 gives us this stark reminder. He says, he says in 13.2, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Which I am giving to the people. You understand? Which I am giving. They were sent out, commissioned by the Lord. They needed to remember the promise. They needed to hear God's promise. When the men were sent on their 220-mile journey to spy out the promised land, they were reminded that God had already given them this land. When they stepped foot on it, they were walking on their land because God had said so. They were sent to spy out the land, but they were not sent to forget the promise. You remember Peter. It's important that we consider things in their proper order. Peter remembered his position. You remember that? He remembered he was in a boat. Jesus said, come on out to me. And Peter said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm in a boat, but Lord, if you'll call me, I'll come. You remember that? Peter considered the condition of the situation that he was in. But then Peter heard the promise, and the promise was Jesus said, come. Peter stepped out of the boat. And as long as Peter remembered the promise, Peter was fine. When did Peter find himself in a mess? When Peter forgot the promise and only remembered his situation. You understand? We're not called to be ignorant of the situation that we find ourselves in. We just can't forget the promise as we consider the situation. The only position that Peter could see was possible under his own strength was sinking, but there was more because Jesus was there. Hear the promise. Church, hear Jesus' promise. Hear God's promise. After you hear those things, it changes everything. Are you here today and you don't? There's a lot of here's, isn't there? Are you here with us today and you don't know the Lord? Are you joining with us at home today and perhaps you don't know the Lord? Hear this promise from Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a promise from God's Word. He is the way. Jesus is the hope for all of mankind. There's the promise Maybe you've considered your situation. Maybe you recognize that you are not in a great place. Maybe you know your position. Sinful, ashamed, broken, unworthy. It doesn't matter. His promise is for you. Right where you are. In fact, you're just the kind of person that Jesus came for. But it's not just for the individual, is it? Church, hear Jesus' promise. Jesus looked at Peter and he says, You are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is work to be done, but Jesus has promised to save all who will come unto him. Just as the spies were commissioned not only to look around, they were commissioned to go and carry the promise we too have been commissioned, but our commission is not to spy. Our commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them, teach them to love and obey Christ, but then hear the promise. 
Behold, I am with you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Wyatt was little, real little, he and I were hunting together. And uh, I, I'm going to embarrass him. He doesn't like it when I talk about him in a sermon. I'm going to pick on him for just a minute. But he was, he was small. We were hunting on some property we used to have access to. It was dark. We were coming out of the woods. And I always give my kids a flashlight, and I carry a flashlight, because otherwise there's fighting over who has a flashlight. And kids with a flashlight is always a nightmare, right? Because when they talk to you, they do this. They want it right in your face. So you get, listen, if you want to start hunting with your kids, listen to me. Give them a, a, a dull flashlight, one with dead batteries. <laughs> just save yourself the blindness. But we're walking out, and he's holding my hand, and uh, uh, he said, Daddy, if, if the lights went out, I would be afraid. I said, well, buddy, I'd be a little concerned, too. He said, and, and, it, and if I lost you, I would be afraid. I said, well, son, if I couldn't find you, I'd be concerned, too. He said, but as long as, you, as, long as I'm with you, I'm okay, aren't I, Daddy? So I'm glad you believe that, son. I hope you keep that up. As long as I'm with you, as long as, as long as you're there, Jesus said, behold, I am with you. You're not alone. Church, we're not alone. We need to consider our situation. And I want you to know, it is dire. The world around us is lost and in need of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's Valentine's Day, and our world doesn't even know how to love anybody. It doesn't. We should be reminded today of all days of how horribly unloving we've become. In Southern Baptist life, this Sunday, not February 14th, but this Sunday calendar-wise, has been deemed Racial Reconciliation Sunday as a reminder that there is still work for us to do to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our brothers and sisters. We need to consider the hard truths around us. But folks, as we consider our situation, here's what we cannot do. We cannot close up our ears so that we miss God's promise. God has spoken no matter how dark the day may be. The light has shined. And His name is Jesus. So I urge you this morning, consider your position. Hear God's promise and then finally make a decision. Make a decision. A decision must be made. We cannot waver forever. Acts 2 is an account of the greatest sermon ever preached. Peter stood before a gathered crowd and he preached. He didn't lecture. He didn't talk. He didn't speak to them. He didn't, he didn't give a speech. Peter preached. And he helped the crowd to understand and consider their position. He spoke to them of their sin, their rebellion, and their Savior. And he spoke to them of God's promise, saying, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Jesus was the Savior they had waited for. But Peter did not stop there. He wasn't done. Peter presented them with a decision. Having access to the information wasn't enough. Peter urged them, repent and be baptized Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children. And all who are far off. The promise is there. The promise was there for Israel. The promise is there for you. The promise is there for our church. The situation for Israel was dire, but the promise was present. The decision had to be made. Two faithful servants, Joshua and Caleb. 
Now, we only get Caleb here, but, but Joshua, we're going to find out later on, was a part of that same decision that said, we can do this. Now, these were young men at the time, in their early 20s. And Joshua and Caleb looked around and they said, we can do this. God is with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? The promise was there. The situation was dire, but the promise was present. The decision had to be made. Joshua and Caleb argued that God's promise was bigger than all their problems. Boy, we could make it. That should be one of those little memes we send around on, on, on the internet, shouldn't it? Isn't God's promise bigger than your problems? But so often we forget that and we allow the problems to shadow out the glory of the sun. But unfortunately, Israel, like Peter would later do, took their eyes off the Savior's promise. They looked only at the world around them and they sank. Rather than taking the promised land, they wandered in the wilderness of disobedience for 40 years. The promise was there for Israel. But folks, do you know the promise is there for you too? The promise is there for you too. God loves you. Have you sinned? Yes. No, you don't deserve God's grace any more than I do. But God gives it anyway. And the promise is for those who are far off. See, in God's economy, there's sort of this backward experience. The further you realize you are from Jesus, the closer you are to experiencing His promise. The more deeply you understand your sin the closer you are to receiving your Savior. The promise is there for you, but having the information isn't enough. If you're joining with us, whether in person or online, and you've never considered how it is that your sin has separated you from God, perhaps you've considered all those things, but you've never actually made a decision. Can I urge you, as the Apostle Peter did in Acts chapter 2, repent of your sins and be baptized. Plant your feet firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He will not ever turn you away. God loves you just like you are. And he will take you. But folks, I want to camp out for just a few minutes right here. The promise is there for our church. The situation, the situation is daunting, but the promise is sure. We need to face the brutal facts, the actual situation. So many people are perplexed and worried about our culture. Craig, why don't you preach about the Republicans? Why don't you preach about the Democrats? Don't you see how sinful they are? Don't you see what they are doing to our country, to our world? Listen to me. They aren't here for this sermon. I won't change them. And it's easier for me to talk about how bad they are so that we collectively can stand on the front porch of our church and throw rocks at the people who are sinning differently than we are. Now, I, I'm sorry for my frustration as it boils over, but church, we got to stop looking at the news and start looking in the mirror. 
Because their sins are not our problem. Our sins are. And our sins are what is keeping us from reaching them. I'll try not to yell anymore. You know, it's easy to preach against the sin out there. But the most important sermon any pastor can preach is a sermon preaching against the sin within his own church. The hard truth for us, church, is that the few victories we have enjoyed are just not enough. Hell is real and people are dying in our own backyard without hope because we haven't gone to them. Churches are dying in our own backyard because we haven't helped them. People groups around the world, 3.23 billion people around the world are dying without the hope of the gospel because we haven't gone to them. But the promise is still there. The promise is still there. We are Christ's church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And so let's bring ourselves all the way back to Israel as they stood on the precipice staring into the promised land. And God says, I've given you this land. The people looked around and they said, look at those people. Those people. We can't do anything with those people. Israel spent a whole lot of time talking about everybody else, but Israel didn't do much time, spend much time looking in the mirror, did they? The church in America has gotten really good at pointing out the sins of everybody who's not involved in our churches. Really, really, really good. The church in America has gotten really 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 bad at emphasizing holiness within her own ranks and engaging with them they aren't the enemy they are lost sheep wandering without a shepherd dying and going to hell and you'd rather vote them out of office than You'd rather vote them out of office than win them to heaven. You'd rather make sure that they don't run your community than to offer to them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are more willing to go around the world to share the gospel than you are to go to your neighbor and proclaim hope. But the promise is there. You see, it doesn't matter what we've done. The promise remains. Because in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Israel stood on the precipice and they looked at them. And they forgot about Him. And we stand today, I believe, and I believe this from the bottom of my heart. As the church in America, I believe we stand on a precipice 
And at Malvern Hill Baptist Church, I believe we stand upon a precipice. And I believe that we are looking at a field that is white unto harvest. And I believe that we have to decide whether or not, as we apprise ourselves of the situation in which we find ourselves, decide whether or not we will trust more in our situation than we will in our Savior. Whether or not we will look to them or to Him. Whether or not we will be pessimistic or we will live in the promise. Israel stood and they looked. And then they conducted what might be considered a missiological study. An ethnography, if you will. They sent the people in to identify this this, this scenario. And the people came back and they said, it's bad. And the people of Israel said, well, it's bad, so we're just going to stay right here. And God said, what? That's right, you will stay right here for 40 years. God's promise didn't fail, and that's what we've got to understand. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, you will praise me or the rocks will cry. You remember that? It's not as though God won't be glorified or that God will not fulfill his promise. See, the question is not whether or not God wins. The question is whether or not we get to participate in the victory. You understand? The question is not whether or not God will be true to his promise. The question really is this. We get to enjoy the fruits of that promise. That generation died having never entered the promised land. But God wasn't finished. I believe that we stand upon a precipice looking out ahead of us. And it's time as the church the church of America, the church across the world. But I'm going to tell you something, folks, and I'm just going to be brutally honest. If we're not careful, we can walk out those doors this morning and we can go, that church better get its act together. But that can only happen if we forget that 60% of the people within a five-mile radius of this church are unchurched. That means they do not know Jesus. 25% of the people within a five-mile radius of this church claim to have no faith affiliation at all. None! Over 60% of our churches are dying, and we're doing nothing! We can walk out the door and we can go, look at them. Or we can consider our situation this morning. We can consider our position. We can hear God's promise and then we can decide to make a decision. See, we might not be able to change what happens out there, but we can change what happens in here and we can change it starting today. We can make a commitment that says that we trust that He is the Christ and the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. We can proclaim with confidence that the promise is true. And that brings us to our final concluding question this morning. Will you trust the promise? Individually, will you trust the promise? You see, there's some of you here, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I I do. I want to be real honest. I've said that about ten times this morning in this sermon. 
There are some of you who have spent years in this church. You might have grown up in this church. I may have even baptized you in this church, but you do not know Jesus Christ. And today needs to be the day that you look in the mirror. You consider your position. You decide that you're going to trust God's promise no matter how uncomfortable it is for you in the moment. But then as a church, this is our decision point. It's time for us to look at Israel. They were a ragtag group of followers. You know, the situation in which they found themselves is not that much different than the situation we find ourselves in today. It's a lot different, but just work with me. We find ourselves hopefully coming out on the back end of a pandemic that has scattered us all over. We can make all sorts of plans, and we've made plans and changed plans and altered plans and canceled plans, and I'm so tired of canceling and changing plans. And I think I know what's going to happen in the next two months, but the reality is I, I, I might not have any idea what's going to happen in the next two months. See, we're, we're, we're walking into a world that has changed dramatically in the last 12 months. And we don't know exactly what tomorrow holds. The question that we've got to decide is, is this, really. Regardless of what tomorrow holds, will we trust the promises of the ones who hold tomorrow? Will we consider the lostness of our community and trust His promise to go with the Great Commission, confident that He will never leave us and He will never, ever forsake us? Will you trust the promise today? When Joshua and Caleb decided to trust God's promise, they were unpopular. Two out of twelve trusted God's promise. See, the bad thing was that the, the ten voices carried the day. But the really cool part about it is, those two still experienced God's promise, didn't they? Folks, I can't tell you what everybody else will do when you decide to trust God's promise. What I can tell you is that when you decide to trust God's promise, you're on the right side of history. And God will honor your decision. But honest and truly, it's now or never. We've waited too long. We must stop wavering and get busy. Will you trust God's promise today? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And as we sing this morning, if you'd like to pray with me, I'd, I'd be happy to pray with you. I'll be standing right over to the side. Perhaps you'd like to come up here and pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for our church. Pray for our community. We're in a world that has been distanced for far too long, and they need to be brought near to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However it is that the Lord is leading you this morning, would you be obedient as we sing? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you have given us great promises in Christ. He is our yes and our amen. You promise to never leave us, forsake us. God, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you, Father God, I pray that they would trust in your promise and forget about everything else going on around them, Lord. Regardless of what else has happened, they would trust today that you're enough and that you will accept them right where they are as they are.
Father God, for our church, I pray today it would be, be, be the beginning of our trusting, Lord God. Of us, God, not resting on the victories of the past, but Father God, moving forward in faith, trusting in the hope for the future. We pray these things in the gospel, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with us as we sing.